said I was getting migraines. And so when I first started to get stressed, when my body was really starting to say, we need to do something differently, um, I was probably getting a migraine once a month. And then it was once a week. And by the time I left the corporate world, it was 25 days a month. 25 days of being in a dark room, cold pillow, not being able to see properly, um, just waiting for the pain to stop. Um, rarely out of my bed. If I made it to the sofa, that was a good day. I was incredibly isolated. You know, I didn't speak to anybody at work. And my friends by that point had, you know, not that they had given up on me, but if you say no, every single time someone asks you to dinner or should we go to the cinema and you say no, eventually they just stop asking. Excited to share this episode with you uh, from Sarah Ross. Sarah is a leading burnout recovery expert, international award-winning speaker, mentor, and best-selling author. Uh, she is um, uh, she recognizes that burnout can destroy your life, but with little changes, you can feel like you're on fire again. Sarah Ross was on the brink of suicide with burnout and stress, but a dying orphan saved her life, showing her that she had a reason to breathe. Sarah is now a leading burnout recovery expert, international award-winning speaker, mentor, and best-selling author who uses her own experiences from with burnout, stress, and depression to help others avoid the dark place that she found herself in. And what you're going to find in this episode is you're, you're going to hear, in this episode, you're going to hear about her journey uh, and this journey of, of being in the corporate world in positions that were black and white as far as the messages that she had to share with uh, individuals in the organization. Uh, so from a compliance perspective, from a legal perspective, and, and having to weigh out ethical and legal considerations when making decisions, and the impact of essentially being an employee in an isolated type of role and having to deliver not such, such good news on a regular basis and getting pushback constantly. And, and you're going to hear about how that took her to being in an isolated role to actually um, her body breaking down and, and suffering from migraines uh, and depression to the point where she actually had to isolate in her own room uh, because the migraines became so intense. And then to, uh, to get to a place where she actually planned to commit suicide uh, within a six-month period. And during that time... Uh, partaking in activities that she uh, always wanted to do and one of those activities or experiences if you will was to uh, visit a uh, an orphanage in Vietnam so I really hope that you enjoy this episode with Sarah Ross all right thank you everyone for joining us today uh, my name is Aaron Solly with Engage Coaching Group uh, and today on Your Gifts Matter I'm excited to uh, to interview Sarah Ross and her organization is called Your Reason to Breathe she is a leading burnout recovery expert, international award-winning speaker, uh, mentor, and best-selling author. And uh, really excited to have you on today, Sarah, and uh, learn a little bit more about your gifts and what you're, you're bringing to the world. Thanks for having me. It's good to yeah. be here. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm looking forward to, to chatting with you. Uh, as always, I, I like to just kind of kick things off and give you an opportunity to share a little bit more about yourself and you know who you are and and, and where you where you came from a little bit about your, your history and what uh, how you got to where you are today yeah so I am as some of you have probably guessed from the accent over the pond uh, I'm living in Oxford England now 
Um, I came back here a couple of years ago after 10 years living in Switzerland. And that was kind of the end of a sort of, you know, the expat journey for me. Um, I had, uh, I studied English and German law in college and gradually, you know, went through, I worked for a lot of the world's top companies, PricewaterhouseCoopers, Walmart, um, Novartis, the pharmaceutical company, um, and was very lucky with them to travel with my jobs. And yeah, suddenly it was, my brother was going to have baby number three and it was, yeah, I was just a little bit too far away from home um, and wanted to really come back and, and be more part of family life again. Um, so yeah, I've been back here, my company, yeah, Your Reason to Breathe started around about the end of 2018, um, when we actually said, you know what, this is time for it to be about my story, not something I just happened to be good at, which is what I had previously worked in, but actually that story that, you know, I'm passionate about and I really want to help change lives with suddenly became the forefront. So Your Reason to Breathe was born. That's great. Thanks so much for sharing. Um, so tell, you know, share a little bit more about your experience in the corporate world and what, what did you struggle with uh, from that environment? And it, it worked for some very, you know, well-known and, and large organizations. Uh, so what, what was, uh, what was your experience like in, in that, uh, in that environment? So I had, you know, I had the great, you know, the name, the names are on the CV, on the resume. Um, I've worked in some amazing places on, you know, very fortunate to have had the opportunity that I did. Um, but I think I didn't know it at the time, but it was all relatively short termist. Um, I actually, when I left corporate and looked at my resume, like in its entirety, I hadn't really stayed in a job longer than three and a half years, which, you know, even in today's, you know, patterns is still quite long, but I wasn't, you know, if I wasn't getting the promotion or the pay rise or the title, then I would tend to find a company that would give it to me and just move on to something else. Now, I was an internal auditor for the best part of 10 years. So I was the corporate police, um, used to not being liked, but very much used to it, everything being black and white, which was good because that kind of fit my personality. You know, I studied law in college and then I became an auditor. I was a chartered accountant. Everything was very, you know, follow the rules and everything is fine. Um, and then after 10 years of being an auditor, I became chief compliance officer for emerging markets. So I was suddenly responsible for 50 different countries, all of whom are pretty high on the corruption perception index. So are known for not being the easiest places to do business or the, you know, the most ethical places, shall we say. And really then you know started to learn around much more around culture and playing in that gray area that said you know sometimes it's not black and white um so yeah that was that was kind of the big shift for me and how i worked um at the time. And what was that like being in those roles where, where it was everything had to be black and white and, and having to communicate messages that were you know maybe not necessarily liked by uh, those that you worked with or those that were uh, in the in the organizations you're with what was that experience like for you it was a very isolating experience because you are enforcing rules and regulations and it is your job in those roles whether it's internal audit or corporate investigations to enforce what are printed in black and white policies procedures rules regulations 
And actually that's not, you know, that's not how the world works anywhere, whether it's in an office or outside, there is always some interpretation of those. And, you know, you, I would spend a lot of time, you know, battling, I would say it was pretty much, it wasn't quite going to war, but it was never, you know, you never, okay, you're not doing this. This is the way to do it. And they would go, yes. Okay. You know, there was always a discussion and, you know, it would come down to, could you accept their interpretation of it? And that was a little bit difficult because I didn't like most of their interpretations of, mm. of things, but that was how the business worked. And so that, you know, that conflict between, is it right or wrong? Is it legal? So it could be wrong, but it could still be legal. And it could be legal, but it might not be ethical. And so yeah. how, you know, how do you, you're going between those three, um, right, wrong, legal, illegal, and then ethical, not ethical. And you have to find the position that, you know, is the least amount of risk for the business whilst, you know, still maintaining you know, that you are looking after the company's best interests. And how would you describe what was going on inside of you in the, in those dilemmas of, you know, trying to find a happy medium, but knowing that there's ethical dilemmas there, there's, the, you know, the legal dilemmas. So what was your internal experience like, uh, you know, it being an employee that's, that is isolated, uh, you know, from yeah. a lot of the culture and that, and just coming in and, and having to lay down the law, so to speak. Yeah, so I was, you know, I would, I looked after, like I said, I looked after 50 countries. I was always on a plane. I was very rarely at my desk in my office in Switzerland. I was always traveling. And, you know, I would very, I mean, if I was going somewhere new, I would always come up against, you're younger than we expected. You know, they were expecting this 50-year-old experienced, you know, years and years of experience behind her. And I was turning up and I was 33 at the time. Um, and that, you know, that would immediately put them on the, she doesn't know what she's talking about. And I would feel a little anxious. It's like, I have to prove myself. Um, and so every single time would be like, I have to get this right. And sometimes, you know, you would go a little bit too harsh to make them see that you were the boss. Um, but what, what would that look like? like how, how would you have to? So, I mean, some, some of the times, you know, you were literally, you could have a discussion but at the end of the day, the final decision was mine, mm. you know, and, you know, if the decisions have gone well, then you're more likely to find a compromise. If the decisions are, you know, you feel like you're beating your head against a wall, you're more likely to come down on a black and white answer. And if, uh, you know, whoever you're talking to, if they just will not give an inch, then you also retreat into the, well, if you're not moving, I'm not moving. Mm -hmm. End of the day, it's my decision like which way we go so <laughs> yeah for sure so how did that impact your mental wellness so like I said I was traveling a lot um, so mentally I was exhausted um, I would travel 85% of the time I was always on a plane I rarely saw family and friends um, I'd kind of I pulled back as much as possible of that because I was also starting to get sick suffering from migraines. Um, my body didn't know which time zone it was in most of the time. And I was eating, well, you know what, the food they serve you on planes, it's not, you know, it's not necessarily nutritionally balanced or what you want to eat, it's whatever they've served you. And so mentally, I was tired, but I was also 
getting more and more frustrated at what I could and couldn't do. And I think for the first time, you know, as I, as I was working that job, was suddenly aware of how important my values were and what was important to me and did they really align with what the company was doing. Yeah, and so what, how did you, like in those leading up to that and, and essentially not living your values and, and having to follow values that you were in alignment with, like what was that, like how did you cope with that? How did you? Um... It was, I, I think when I, when I joined the company, I believed our values were aligned the company I wanted to work with so I was really excited and then gradually you would start to see you know back to interpretation well what does interpretation of integrity mean or ethics or caring and curing you know in a pharmaceutical sense um, and then you know towards the very end was actually you will care and cure if it's with the right profit margin but if it's not making you enough profit you actually don't care um, and you would rather take products away from people who need them than not have as much profit coming in from a certain, you know, certain part of the, of the globe. And that to me then was like, you know what, well, this isn't, this isn't the right place for me because for me, the, it would be to care for people and to be looking out for them um, and making the best of a situation and, you know, giving up a couple of percentage points for people who are dying of malaria or, you know, not getting any help, the help that they did just did not fit with me anymore. Right, that was, yeah, yeah, that was yeah. not going to sit well. And when you know it doesn't, it's really difficult to then make decisions that are in the company's best interests. You know, you want to protect people, but you also are kind of, you're having to put one policy out that you're saying, but your heart is saying, actually, it would be better if we just did this. And you know that their interests, but it's not necessarily what the company's going to sign off on. So it's, you know, continual sort of inner conflicts to find what is the right thing for all of us and trying not to get too emotionally attached to the people that you were trying to help. That, that, that sounds extremely difficult, extremely difficult. It was, and I, yeah, so by the time I finished with that job, I was pretty angry. Um, at me, at the world, at that job, um, at the everything that perceived had happened in that time. And it was, yeah, and that's not a good place for your body either. And so, what, where did that uh, where did that leave you? Like, how 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 much was the impact on you? So, like I said I was getting migraines, and so when I first started to get stressed, when my body was really starting to say we need to do something differently. Um, I was probably getting a migraine once a month and then it was once a week. And by the time I left the corporate world, it was 25 days a month, mm. 25 days of being in a dark room, cold pillow, not being able to see properly, um, just waiting for the pain to stop. Um, rarely out of my bed. If I made it to the sofa, that was a good day. I was incredibly isolated. You know, I didn't speak to anybody at work and my friends by that point had, you know, not that they had given up on me, but if you say no, every single time someone asks you to dinner or should we go to the cinema and you say no, eventually they just stop asking because they know that the answer is no. Um, so yeah, it became very lonely and isolated and 
you know, some of it, it you know, a lot of it was self-imposed. And so even now, as we're going, you know, going through COVID, I can see a lot of the things that people are struggling with who live alone, you know, and it's not, self, you know, it's not self-imposed. They're being told that they have to stay in and a lot of those things that then struggled with start to come up again. Yeah. And I hear you, you know, you were saying how just your position in these organizations was isolating and then it, the isolation, uh, you know, just got more and more extreme to the point where you're now in this, you're literally in a dark place in your home. Yeah completely isolated from not only you know the organizations you work with but your friends and your family and all, all on your own there uh, and your body has put you into this uh, this state where you are absolutely isolated so how did you um, how did you move through that so my body had for years been giving me you know the the, the warning lights yeah. you know it's time to stop that it's time to recharge and you know when I give a talk, I actually ask people, you know, if you had your phone and it got to 5% battery, how many of you would be running to find a plug and not necessarily listening to me speak on the stage? And that's the same for, you know, our bodies. Our bodies give us signs like that and we don't necessarily respond quite as quickly when it's our body doing it as we would with our car or our phone. Um, and so, yeah, with me, my body was giving me so many signals that things were wrong. You know, my diet was off, my I wasn't sleeping. You know, at the time, at the height of that burnout, I think I was probably getting one or two hours of sleep a night. Wow. Um, and sleep deprivation is actually a torture technique. Um, and so when you are constantly only getting a couple of hours a night, then your body is slowly but surely shutting down vital processes. So I spent most of my, you know, my brain was fuggy. I couldn't remember words. I wasn't sleeping properly. I used a lot of caffeine drinks. I don't drink coffee, but it was still energy drinks and anything that would keep me awake. I didn't eat properly. Um, I was overwhelmed. I was getting emotional at things. I was isolated. You know, the list can go on. And yeah. if you're if the listeners are interested, there's actually a quiz on our website that has 15 factors that could be contributing to a burnout. Um, at the height of my burnout, I yeah. have 14 of those factors. 14 of those factors, wow. Thanks so much for listening to this episode. This episode is brought to you by engagecoachinggroup.com. You can find a number of free resources on our blog. So if you go to engagecoachinggroup.com slash blog, there's articles, there's videos, there's links to the different podcasts uh, for Your Gifts Matter. A lot of mental wellness resources there for you. And as well, you can find us on Facebook. Engage Coaching Group uh, is, has a page there. And also we have a page on LinkedIn. So just wanted to uh, make you aware of some various ways that you can find uh, resources to help you with your mental wellness. All right, let's get back to today's episode. So how did you, like, what was the turning point for you? How did you, how did you move through this and get to where so you are now? My... I had decided, so I left my corporate job, I took a severance package, and I then decided on my 37th birthday that I wouldn't be around to see my 38th. I had, I, um, I didn't tell anybody that plan. I was, you know, it was completely with me. I didn't want anyone to know I was struggling or that I was failing. That was the biggest thing for me, this fear of failure and disappointing people. So I didn't tell anybody, but I did come up with a plan that 
six months down the line, I would actually take my own life. And in that time in between, I would go and do things that I had always wanted to do. And I would go and say goodbye to people, you know, friends around the world. They wouldn't know that's what it was, but I needed to say goodbye and, and see them one last, last time. And so I ended up in an orphanage in Vietnam for disabled children. It had been one of the things I'd always wanted to do, never had enough time. And I spent four months there in the end. Um, and a, Four of the six months. Wow. Four of the six months. Yeah. And originally, you know, it was going to be three months and at the end of that three months was going to be the date that I would end my life. So I was going to do it, you know, overseas and, you know, make it even more impossible for people um, if I, you know, if I had gone ahead. But that was, that was the plan. So at this date, but I will spend the last three months with these children who all they needed was somebody to build Lego, give them a hug, um, paint their nails. And those were all things that I could still do. Like I couldn't really fail at painting nails badly, you know, I could still give somebody something. Um, and I decided on my last, on the last Christmas, because this was November, December time, that my last Christmas, I should be Santa Claus. And so... I went to the market and found a Santa outfit that was my size. Now I'm five foot 10 and you know, I'm not the size of a Vietnamese person. Um, so to find any clothes was difficult, mm. but so I find the whole Santa suit that fitted me, uh, including beard and hat and everything was just like, this is crazy. This is a sign that I, this is what I'm supposed to do. And I did, I spent the whole morning giving out sweets and chocolates and lollipops, just like Santa would. Um, I spent the afternoon with some elderly residents at this care center, some Vietnam War veterans. Um, and then as we went to leave, the staff told us that one of the little girls was gonna die. She, was, she had always been sick, but she mm -hmm. was much at the end. And if we wanted to say our goodbyes, then we should head over to room one and do it before we left for the evening. And so I went, to room one, still dressed as Santa, and I'd never been there before. I didn't know the little girl. I'd never met her, but I knew I had to say goodbye. Mm -hmm. um, and I walked in, and she's lying in this crib that she shares with four other children, and leant over the side of it, and she put her hand in my beard, and I just watched her breathe. And it just amazed me that this little girl who had pretty much nothing to live for, and couple of hours left was still fighting for every single breath. You know, she was fighting because life was precious and she didn't want to let go. And I would, five weeks after that, was planning to end my life. Um, and it was kind of, as I breathed with her, I realized that, you know, for some people, everything that I have, education, opportunities, health, family, a safe place to live, were, you know, life goals for some people on the earth. And so, I found in that moment a reason to breathe. And that was for me to live and to find the reason I was, why I was here to live, like Mark Twain says. Mm -hmm. um, but I knew I couldn't do it on my own because I was the one who got me into this, this place that, you know, suicide was the only way out. And so I actually had to do what I had really, really struggled with up to that. And that was ask for help and ask somebody, you know, to help me and to, you know, talk me through the next steps because I had no idea what they would be. But it was, yeah, that that moment then of there is something else.
that I need someone to show me what it is. What a powerful story. Wow. And to, to spend time in an orphanage uh, in those, what were your planned uh, last few months uh, on the planet and to just be able to just give um, your time and your, uh, you know, your heart to these children and then to, to dress up as Santa Claus, you know, the, the iconic symbol of gift giving. And in, and in that moment to, to learn from, you know, one of the, one of the children that's, it's about to pass. And, and like that is just uh, so powerful. And yeah. And so what was it, so what was it like for you to ask for help at the, at, at the end of that, uh, in that moment to be able to then, because it sounds like you didn't ask like you, from what you've talked about. There was no asking for help leading up to this. So what did it take, <laughs> take for you to ask for help? So I, I very rarely asked for help. I would rather struggle through and figure it out on my own than admit that I couldn't do it or I was failing or it wasn't good enough. You know, all those things that would go through my head if I was going to ask for help. And in that moment, you know, I was like, you know what, I need somebody. Um, and because I had been spending so much time hiding what was going on in my life you know in those six months leading up to what would have been you know i call it my expiry date in those six months i was still going on personal development courses i trained wow. to be a coach yeah. trained to be a speaker uh i had a website designed my speaker reel was put together all in this period leading up to the point on which there would be no sarah ross anymore wow yeah. those things would never see the light of day but to everybody else, I was moving on with my life and everything was good. And whilst I had been on one of these speaker trainers, I had met a coach um, and he's an acting coach in LA. And he's fairly intuitive. And he said a couple of things to me during, this, during our session at this course that I believed he knew what I was planning to do. Now he did never mentioned it specifically, yeah. But I was convinced he had figured it out. And I was worried that if he had figured it out, then, then I wasn't particularly good at hiding it. And maybe everybody knew. And they just didn't want to say because they didn't want to upset me. Um, and at the end of the day, he had actually given me his business card and his book. And somebody said to me, oh, you're going to work with him. And I was like, no, I'm never going to see that man again, ever. Now, believe, I mean, at the time, I thought I had five months left. So it was, you know, whilst there was a lot of fear around it, he was never going to cross my path. Right. And Night when I needed to ask for help, his was the only business card in my wallet. Look at that. It was the only book in my room. And he had written inside the book, and the book is called Stop Acting and Start Living. And inside he had written, the bigger the dream, the better the life. And that became kind of the theme of working with him. I did ask him for help. Fortunately, he said yes. Um, and working with him actually taught dream and you realize that's what was missing in the whole period up to me making that decision and going on that journey was I had forgotten to dream. Wow. Just to, you know, you never know who's going to impact things, right? And you meet along the way. Yeah. Right. So how would you articulate the, the inner gifts or abilities that you accessed uh, throughout your struggle and ultimately, um, you know, maybe at the time didn't, didn't appear as a gift, 
but uh, in reflection, recognizing that there was tremendous, uh, you know, power in some of the things that you access to get to, to get past that expiry date as you talk about, right? Yeah, so I think, you know, very much everything came up in reflection. I don't remember seeing much of things as gifts. Uh, like I said, I was angry at pretty much the whole world and myself during the time that I burnt out. I couldn't figure out why it didn't work for me. Um, you know, but, but looking back now, what would you say the gift in that anger was? I, I believe now that the gift was that I didn't speak to people in that angry state. No. I believe I would have destroyed a lot of relationships if I had actually unleashed the anger and the pain that I was feeling. So what did you access instead? Uh, silence. Yeah. Um, I was forced into because of the migraines. Yeah. Um, but the migraines also stopped me from, you know, hurting myself and others and trying to take on any more. And I think that's the really important piece was I was burnt out. I could not do anything else. But if my body had given me even an inch, I would have been back at my desk. I would have been running trainings. I would have been, you know, in the presence of my boss who I didn't really get on with. And it would just have got worse and worse. But what the migraines gave me was that you must stop today. And, sit, you, in the, yeah, and sit in the silence, it sounds like. Yeah. Here is, here is the silence. Do not move. Do not do anything. You know, you can't learn anything because you can't read a book. You can't open the computer because it hurts your eyes. You can't turn the TV on. So, you know, it's literally, okay, it was me with my dark thoughts, which, you know, maybe wasn't the best piece, but um, there was definitely this quiet that came about that went, you know what, if I can give you only one thing today, it is just listen to your body. And that's interesting because it, because from what you said about with that dying orphan, you just sat in, in, in the silence and listened to, uh, and, and listened to her breath. Right. Yeah. So and just, yeah. Looking back on it, you know, looking look at the time at that, I don't remember much of the two months leading up to that Christmas day. I know I was not a pleasant person to be around. I was still angry. I was still, you know, I was still scared that other people could tell how bad things were for me. And I didn't want anyone to have guessed. But the room that I used, you know, like I said, she was in room one. I'd never been in room one before. I worked in room five. Now in room five, the majority of the children are dumb. Um, they do not speak. Nobody's taught them or they don't have the ability to. Um, and so I was surrounded by children who were quiet. Mm. Now, it wasn't until probably after that Christmas day that any orphan actually said my name because I went to different rooms after that, you know, and people, you know, some of the orphans would say my name, but when you look at the timeline until I was Santa Claus, nobody said my name. Look at that. Yeah. Easy, right? <laughs> yeah. It's just absolutely like a needed experience for you. And everything just kind of as, as tough as it was to go through that, it sounds like that, that's where you needed to be and get to, to, to be where you are today. Uh, yeah. And, and so the know. two months after it, just the number of lessons that came from the children, not in any learning capacity, but just by being with them, but being in a different headspace is actually what forms much of the work that I do with clients now. 
Yeah. Yeah. So why don't we talk, talk a little bit about that? So that we're going through the, and you've talked about your realization with being in isolation and relating to how people are mm-hmm. perhaps going through the, the global pandemic right now. Uh, so how are you uh, working with people uh, through this and beyond? And, and, and even, you know, feel free to share your own experience around, you know, now the fact that you're, you know, you've gone through isolation to, to an extreme level and now you're in it um, along with everybody else. Uh, and, uh, and how are you, how are you coping with it differently this time? I'm very much aware of, you know, I'm an introvert by nature. So when they go lockdown, you must be, you know, I live on my own. It's like, well, this, this would be a breeze, right? I'm an introvert. Like I love my own company. And then you realize that actually you don't, you know, it, there are times it's, it's not necessarily actual, you know, verbal interactions. It's the energy of other people being around. So going shopping is actually almost a recharge for me, not because I'm speaking to anybody, but because there is the energy of other people in the, in the supermarket or in right. the, yeah. that's reviving for me. So that I wasn't aware with, I believed lockdown would be the easiest process for me. Um, I miss my family very much, but you know, I've also strengthened relationships with my grandmother or my parents and my, you know, thank goodness for FaceTime and telephone and and things. I've reconnected with people that I wouldn't have had the time to if I was still being busy um, because I could go out and and do other things. So it's, it's been very much making the best out of this situation and learning. And this is what, you know, a lot of talks and podcasts and everything, this is about managing the stress of lockdown so that we come out better than we went in but it's also about remembering what was good about COVID. Not from a, you know, not for people who've lost their lives or people who have, you know, lost family members, but what did COVID make you do that you wouldn't necessarily have done? You know, um, people put on vision boards, I want to spend time with my family or I want more time in nature. And that's exactly what they're getting. It's like, well, don't make, it doesn't stop when we're allowed back out. Make sure that the good bits that you remember from lockdown stay with you and become, become part of daily life. That's great. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is interesting how we're uh, yeah, definitely being able to connect more with, with family and with, yeah, with the outside uh, and, and getting out to parks and nature, not being able to play in playgrounds, but to be able to just go through walk, uh, you know, walk through nature. And that is, uh, yeah. Reconnecting us to, the things that we actually have been wanting to do. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and so if somebody is, you know, if somebody can relate to your experience of burnout and even being perhaps in a position where things are a bit black and white in a compliance position or a legal type of role, uh, how do you, how do you support them? Uh, and, and how do you, um, you know, work with them as far as, you know, starting to, you know, perhaps get more, comfortable with silence uh, perhaps right so we have a number of programs depending on where people are um, or what their goals are Um, and so we take for wherever people start with us we always go through a process of resetting and making them the priority in their life again but also from a place of happiness um, and joy and actually before we make any decisions about workload or is it the right workplace for you is making sure you're making that from a place where you're not stressed or frustrated 
um, that you have experienced, or not to say normal life again, but that you have actually taken some time to just see, well, how does it feel when I'm not super stressed all the time? Is it really as bad as I think it is? And if it is, then we have processes to find people what is the right next move. Um, but for others, it is simply having a conversation with your boss about which parts of your job you hate, love, what you'd like to focus on. Um, or, you know, you are in an absolutely the right company for you. You're just not in the right role. And so giving people a chance to explore those different aspects so that they can actually thrive wherever they are. Um, and for some, it is becoming an entrepreneur, um, setting up their own business. And so making sure that, you know, they also do that with the right thought processes behind them so that when they go from one job to another or from one job to their own business, that they are supported in terms of their own stress management and that they won't burn out in those unfamiliar circumstances. They have the tools and tricks to actually manage it so that they continually stay in a more positive place. Yeah, well, that's great. Being able to help people in, in the different aspects of where they're at with their career and, and their journey. And how can people best find you if they want to connect with you? So best way to find me is via the website. It's called yourreasontobreathe.com. Um, all of our social media links are on there. Um, you can also email me or fill in the contact form if you want to reach out. And we do, mentioned it earlier, have a quiz called Are You Burning Out? So it's 15 yes, no questions. And at the end, just give some guidance as to, you know, how many times you answer yes. They're very much in sort of true magazine style. You know, how many times did you tick yes? And, and just give some ideas of, you know, how people can rebalance their life because that's what we're, you know, we're trying to help them with. Um, and they can download that directly from the website. Yeah. And, and just in closing, is there, and perhaps that is the, the tool that, um, that you find is a good way to start, but, uh, you know, you know, what is, if somebody is, ex, you know, experiencing burnout or overwhelm, even right now, because uh, people could be perhaps, uh, you know, feeling a bit uncertain about their career, uh, you know, job yeah. security could be an, an issue now is that they've been in the position for a long time and uh, they're, they may not know what their position is going to look like, or they're being asked to move into, uh, you know, technology and using it more and being real more remote. And maybe they're not comfortable with that because they haven't used it before, but what's one, one simple thing that people can do if they're in that burnout or overwhelmed kind of state to help them start to, to move through it and, uh, and not necessarily go down that isolation path, but get to a more connected place. Yeah. So one of the things we always start with is reconnecting people to things that will make them smile. Um, and whilst it sounds, you know, really simple, we'll just smile. There's actually a chemical process in the body that it stops your body from producing stress hormone, cortisol, if you are smiling, happy, moving. Um, and so we just encourage people to start with 30 seconds a day and build it up. But find something that makes, you know, makes you really happy or is something that you've always done or you did as a child and you haven't done it anymore. Um, so like I said, when I went to ask for help, there was one book in my room. Now, it was the book I needed because that's who I needed to contact. But I was a bookworm when I was a child. I always had like five or six books next to my bed. We would go to the library every week. I would have read everything. Um, but reading for me is the thing that makes me happy. Now, you know, we're very fortunate that we have these things. You can carry 
your own happy pills around on, it, on, a, on a phone. And so find yourself a playlist of music that makes you relax, makes you happy. If you like watching cat videos, then, you know, create a playlist of cat videos or goat yoga or, you know, um, there's a meme that I like, which is a penguin pushing another penguin over. Um, it makes me happy even talking about it. Um, <laughs> you just say, you know, find what it is for you and then just make sure that every day you do, you know, a couple of minutes where your brain switches off from stress and just allows your body to also produce all those happy hormones, which are the ones your body then needs to start the healing process, the reset process. It's such a good reminder just to, to, you know, to smile, right. To find those yeah. things that make us smile and cause it can, uh, it can be forgotten in the middle of, of the stress and trying to get to the finish line of maybe a project or, a, uh, you know, a, of the role that we're in and the amount of workload that we're in just to, yeah, to take those moments to, to just smile. Right. And exactly. Uh, yeah, whether it's a meme or a, a music or, or whatever. Yeah, that's great. Well, I, I really want to thank you, Sarah, for, uh, for being uh, a guest on your gifts matter. And I appreciate you, you, you know, you're sharing your, your journey, you know, of, you know, going through that isolation and, and ultimately getting to that dark place and, and getting to a place where you had, you know, had the plan to take your life. Uh, mm-hmm. But then in the moment of that, you know, those, the gifts that you found of, you know, and it sounds like, you know, the key gift of, of actually sitting in the silence and just breathing and your the name of your, of your uh, coaching practice says it all, your reason to breathe, right? That that's, is such a simple act that all of us have to do. And in addition to smiling, you know, remembering to breathe is so powerful and just yeah. getting oxygen in our bodies to, uh, to, to give us that energy and to ultimately uh, give us the life that, uh, that we have here to, to live. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Breathe and smile. That's yeah. two things. That's all we need. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks again, Sarah. I really appreciate, uh, appreciate you well, sharing. Thank you for having me. Thanks again for listening. Uh, you know, I really hope you got a lot out of this episode and were able to take some some lessons from today's guests. If you love what you hear on here, uh, don't forget to subscribe if you haven't already. And uh, and if you can share uh, share it in social media, on Facebook, on uh, LinkedIn, uh, any any platform that you're using you want to share with uh, with people that you think would benefit from it, that would be fantastic. And, uh, you know, giving us a rating uh, also helps in, uh, in helping us gain more, more listeners to benefit from uh, ultimately the message here that, that, um, that we all matter, right? That you matter uh, and, the, and the skills and talents and abilities that at times may have seemed like struggles along the way. There's actually gifts in there and, and to be able to bring those to your, uh, your workplace uh, to your passions, to your personal life. Uh, there's so much benefits there. So I really appreciate anything that you can do to help get the word out about uh, this podcast so more and more people can benefit from it. And look forward to uh, to sharing another episode with you soon.